Hello and welcome back to another episode of Electric People. It's Ty Williams. Today we have on the show John Beck. Um, Taylor Turnbull is a close friend of his. He co-hosted this one with me, so it was pretty fun. Um, John was a college quarterback at BYU, got drafted to play for the Miami Dolphins, played for the Washington Redskins, and ultimately came out of the league and now has a very different path where he is uh, has a unique skill in coaching quarterbacks. He talks a lot about um, how his path prepared him for this, how it wasn't the path that he anticipated. And uh, it ended up being, he ended up finding his gift and the thing that he's good at. And it was awesome. Like as we talked through it, I couldn't help but think that's how most of our lives are. Most of us end up on uh, the path that we're on or finding the thing that we're great at or called to do through a bunch of things that we didn't plan. So uh, he's very big on development. He also has a couple degrees in sports psychology. So it's awesome to talk to people that understand mindset like that because it's so applicable to what we do as sales leaders, as salespeople, and as humans trying to be better at this human thing. So let's get to it. This is John Beck. The street is where we create. We call it suburbanpreneurship. Mixing big company resources with an entrepreneurial spirit. This is Electric People. When we were at the, when you spoke at our next event uh, last week, someone asked you who the best leader you've ever had in your life was. My dad. It was so fast how you yeah. answered that. It was too. fast just now too. Yeah, it just came out so fast. It's not even close. Like I've been around some awesome leaders that I love and I pulled things from them. But the influence that my dad had on my life from my earliest memories all throughout, even to this day, like when I left my house just now to come over here, my dad was studying, studying training stuff because he's helping kids that are in high school train to succeed and achieve their goals. Tell, tell that story about your dad and like what, how he does that. I thought that was really cool. His, what did you call it? The facility or whatever? Oh, my dad's gym on the side of his house. Yeah. So just an example. Yeah. He tore down. We like the house we like kind of like did high school in. they still live in. And, um, you had to have a requirement of, I think it was like eight orange trees or six orange trees. You had mandatory, had to stay on the property. Well, I think that changed over time because he ripped some of them out and he built a gym on the side of his house and it's awesome. It has everything. Um, and he, he, he built it for himself, but what started happening was in the community, um, some of the kids were feeling like I'm not getting the best training I can in my high school. And my dad knew their dads. It's actually guys that I played with. Um, a, a guy named Todd Heap actually is one of the guys mm. played in the NFL for the Baltimore Ravens is in the ring of honor. We did high school at the same place. His sons are growing up in the same area. And my dad was talking or sorry, Todd was talking to my dad about training. And he's like, you know, I've trained some people. I train some guys in pole vaulting. I trained some other athletes. And so Todd took interest and had his kids come over. The Didn't other you thing- you say your dad still pole vaults? He, he does. Yeah, he still pole vaults. Still <laughs> he, one of the top guys in the world. How high is a pole vault bar? Well, at his age, I think he's 60. Let me think. He was born. He's 65 right now. So I want to say he's jumping probably right around like 13 and a half feet. Maybe in previous years, it was like close to 14 feet. He's always going for, um, there's there's records. There's the U.S. record and there's the world record for his age. And he's always gunning for, That's especially the, the U.S. record. So it's cool. But the, the other thing that he has is he has families in the area who maybe they have a teenage son that's an athlete, but the athlete is struggling outside of sports. 
struggling with anxiety, struggling with depression, feeling like they're not meeting their goals, feeling like life's harder than they thought it was going to be. Whatever the circumstance, these young men and women, it's, it's just not just boys. It's he trains a lot of girls in track as well. Mm. Um, however, they find my dad, they find my dad and he has the gym that they come and work out of, but he has some rules. He has rules about keeping the place clean. He has rules about what time you show up, but he has rules about if you're going to be here, there's material that you have to read. He even has rules of sleep. He makes the kids, certain ones, get the watches that train sleep habits. And he's like, if you're not sticking to your sleep habits, you don't get to train in the gym. Wow. And he just told me this example a couple of days ago of one of the kids had stayed out too late multiple nights, was not getting the sleep. He's like, I can't train you yeah. the way that you need to be trained because it's not going to help your body. What your body needs is recovery, not training, not stress. So when you get recovery, you can then come back and we can stress your body. But he makes the kids read also different books. He has like, you know, I told you guys chop wood, carry water. Certain days of the week before that workout starts, they're going to read a chapter out of Chop Wood, Carry Water because you cannot just be working on yourself physically if you're not working on yourself as a person as well. That's the only way this is going to work. And so, I mean, it's unbelievable. Like I tell people all the time, like, you know, my dad's callings in life, I've seen him be called to different things throughout life, scoutmaster, different callings in his church, different callings in the, you know, as a coach in the community, somehow he's always had an influence around that teenage high school group of people, boys, girls, just such a good influence. And I see it in the way he lives his life. There are mornings that he's still, when I'm back visiting in Arizona, I wake up early to do something. I'll still catch him out in front of the kitchen table has the scriptures by him, has a, or, or a book that he's studying out of or a training book, something where he's always learning to improve himself. And he takes all those lessons and gives them to others. What a, it, It's very like uh, Coach Wooden-esque, you know? Yeah. Like, I was just thinking when you, uh, when you were talking about him, one, how many individuals, like, it's an overwhelming thought, but for how many kids is he the soul, like, leadership example in their life, like the, like the key, like father example, and maybe, maybe some of them have great fathers and stuff, but you know, like think about like, you know, when his time is up, like the faces that will be there, I yeah. bet it's going to be people from all over the place. And I bet their kids will be like, Oh, my dad's talked about you. Cause that it's such a formative age, but teaching people like, Hey, it's not going to work if you're not sleeping too. You yeah. know what I mean? Like I even think of people that come to like Taylor and I that are like, Hey, can you help me with this? And it's like, I need to understand your life first, because what I'm going to say, it's not going to help if you've got other stuff or yeah. if you know, if you have chaos in your life or if you're not studying or whatever, like I can't, there's a foundation and I just can't imagine. I just think it's so cool. I, it's like a Disney movie they should make about him, you know, yeah. a documentary or I something. Mean, and look, my dad, he has said many times to me, like, I wish I would have known this back then when I was raising you. Yeah. I wish I could have done this better. Yeah. You know, my dad's an aggressive guy by nature, very stern and focused. And he at times is in like, Hey, try to be so patient with your kids. Try to be calm. Like I look back and, you know, my dad was absolutely somebody that, you know, at times that temper would go a little bit at times that aggression, but like, I'm grateful for it because it taught me a lot of hard lessons, but you can see him growing as a human when he says to me, Hey, I wish I would have known this back then. I wish I'd known the impact, but he's done some things. Um, my nephew came to live with us. Actually, the home that we bought here in San Clemente, the first four months, like we were doing some construction before we moved in three months. And uh, my dad was helping on the construction and my nephew came out from Utah. He'd been going through some challenges in his life, had made some poor decisions with groups of friends. 
And so he needed to get away and he came out here to help out. And uh, you could tell the kid had some things he had to work on. And so my dad, mom, and my nephew lived in the house in San Clemente. And I would travel back and forth from Yorba Linda to help work on it. And my dad set some rules and was like, look, mm. if you are going to be here, this is the rules. You can't drink soda after this time at night. You have to be in bed at this time of night. Every morning starts at 7 a.m. at the table reading. We're either reading scriptures or we're reading certain books. And these are the things you have to do. You, you know, you can't leave trash out. You can't hey, take these certain things into the room. You have to help on these chores in the house. These are the things. And it was tough on him, really tough on my nephew. But you watched him make these changes in his life. And he's an unbelievable kid, so talented in so many areas of his life. And he went on to serve a mission, went on to do all these things. And at his farewell, he was like, my dad's name is Wendell. And my dad went to his farewell. And he, my, my nephew laughed, like, I got to thank Wendell. Like this mm, guy just wow. set these boundaries and uh, it absolutely helped. And I've seen my dad do that. And here's another cool thing that he does. So I, I can use just this weekend as an example. My dad's like, I want to come watch your kids' football games. They all had games, three and three of them on Saturday. Um, but this kid I'm helping plays one of his last high school games Friday night. I don't want to miss it. He's been injured. He's had all these challenges. He's worked so hard. He missed the first part of the season. He's getting back. He's healthy. I want to see if he has an opportunity to play. There was no guarantee how much the kid was going to play. But because my dad had been invested on all the work the kid had put in, he's like, I want to be there that if he does play we'll drive out early saturday morning so they went to the game friday night stayed i tried to call my dad afterwards to see like what time they were coming and he's like hey i'm gonna have to call you back i'm standing here talking with kyle mm. and like i mean he's just invested mm. and then they woke up at like five something in the morning drove to california to beat all my kids games and then in between games guess who he's talking to on the phone kyle because now Kyle, who played in the game, is now having all these thoughts and feelings about what happened and he wanted to talk to somebody. That same Kyle and his brother Preston, this is probably like four months ago, I drove to Arizona for something. I got to my dad's house at like 11 o'clock at night. I'm in the kitchen and I see out back the lights on in the gym and I see a body walk by and I'm like, are there people in my dad's gym right now? <laughs> it's them. No you know, way. they're like, yeah, our dad, you know, like sometimes we just come by late at night. I told my dad that and he's like, you know what? They're probably frustrated about something. Mm -hmm. Sometimes when they're going through hard things in life, those two just come over and they just get a workout in um, here at the house. What a cool thing. It's amazing. I, I was thinking about a quote that uh, from Richard Rohr where he says, we don't, we don't think our way into a new way of behaving. We behave our way into a new way of thinking. Oh, I love that. And when you think about I love like, that too. Yeah. When you think about That's how great. your dad set that up for your cousin, it's like, or your nephew, it's like, Hey, like I'm not going to tell you this, 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 and this to change your mindset so that you'll go act a different way. I'm going to set up boundaries around your behavior so that it actually changes your brain. Right. Yeah. Well, Which I think one thing cool too, thing. and like, you know, um, we're all members of the church, Jesus Christ, the Latter-day Saints, not everybody listening, you know, maybe un un understands what that means or what we believe in. But, uh, you know, we believe that the Holy ghost, when it impacts your life, it can change you. And what my nephew felt was, the Holy ghost in his life in a way that yes, there were those things happening there. Like it was just a recipe that was beginning to take place in his life and mm -hmm. things caught hold of. And then when the Holy ghost and the spirit is involved in your life, now all of a sudden you become something else, right? Something that was in there that gets tapped into. And so, you know, that's what propelled my nephew to then choose to go serve a mission for the church. And he served in Ethiopia um, for two years and had an amazing experience. And, I, I like, I love when, like you talked about those changes, like 
it, it's your brain, it's your everything, it's your heart, right? Yeah. Like it's just that full change compels you towards and you're not afraid of it because, you know, people are afraid of change. Humans by nature, I think at, time, I, I think at times are so afraid of change. You can sometimes feel comfortable. Um, you know, uh, I've had times in my life where you feel like I'm in a good place, like I'm not looking to change. But the cool part is, is when you feel the right promptings and you follow them and you trust it, you don't have to be afraid of it because you know it's taking you to a place that is better for you. And usually when you go to a place that's better for you, it also greatly affects the people around you that you love most. Yeah. Um, the times in my life that I've strived to be the, a, a better dad absolutely affects not just my kids, but my relationship with my wife, my relationship with the people around me. I mean, in every way. Dude, I like to think of the ripple effect of that sometimes because it's like, say, okay, you're, you're working on whatever, a particular patience, we'll say. Um, and then that affects the people at your like breakfast table, right? But then they're going to go out and then they're going to interact, Right. And it's going to affect those people. And then those people, I mean, the, like it's actually impossible to trace, like, you know, back to like what's going on in Wendell's gym. Right. Like you think he's impacting Kyle, but it's like, well, now Kyle thinks different. Yeah. And then Kyle treats other people different. And then a couple of people are like, what did you do to get in such good shape? And the, you know what I mean? Like, it's just, it, it matters, man. It matters yeah. so much. I, I, and I trace it back to, I have found that the way that my dad loves is that way. So, my dad was that way for me. That's why I feel like I had the greatest dad. Like he supported me in a way, pushed me in a way, challenged me in a way, was always showing up for everything, made major sacrifices in his life to do those things for me. That was my dad's love, love language towards me. I felt it. Never once did I, like there were times I was pissed at him though. Like I used to get so mad because some of the things that he set up for me were hard. Like, you know, um, some of the things he demanded of me were very hard. Um, you know, the work in the yard, the expectation that he had of, you know, not only do you have to work at sports this way and at school this way, but you have to show up in the way you do this work at the house. I mean, what 14 year old kid, 13, 14 year old kid wants to, after doing all that stuff during the week, wake up on a Saturday morning at 7 a.m. because he hears the lawnmower and should know that's your job. Dad should not be the one turning the lawnmower on and was swiftly woken out of bed, not asked, but yanked out of bed by the back of his hair. Like, no, you get out of this bed and you start working. I mean, there was tough stuff. My dad was a tough dude on me for sure. And I, I was a scrawny, skinny kid that had aspirations of being a collegiate athlete, but you know, like didn't look like somebody that would end up being one. So I was having to pump these protein shakes into me and I'd come home at night all tired. And my dad, Hey, did you make your shake? And he'd get mad at me if I hadn't. And I mean, guys, when I'm talking about these shakes, this is not like nowadays where you go to like, yeah. you know, vitamin shop and they taste like fruity pebbles or whatnot. No, no. <laughs> these things were gross. And like, this is right when like creatine, HMB, all these things. And I, I didn't know as a 12, 13, 14 year old how to swallow a capsule. So I would have to pop each capsule open <laughs> no and dump, dump the powder in my shake. That's so and if bad. I missed it, my dad would be like, what are you doing? I mean, he was hard on me. And I mean, I remember times like being telling my mom, like, oh, I'm so mad at dad. Like, why the crap does he make me do this? I hate him for making me do this. But at the end of the day, my brother and I've had these conversations. Like we are so grateful that he pushed us and was hard on us. And did he do it perfectly? Of course not. Like nobody's a perfect dad, but I'm grateful that he tried. And what I see my dad doing is the way that he shows love and distributes what's in his heart is that way continually for people that sometimes he does not know 
that well, but he welcomes them into his gym, his life, his care. I mean, I have seen notepads with these random people's names and all these notes of things that he's like uh, training for speed, training for strength, training for whatever, helping him in their life. I'm like, who's this? Oh, this is a 15 year old girl that's a pole vaulter at this high school and I'm helping her with this. Mm. I've never even met the person. I don't know anything, but like that's his way. And I think that as humans and individuals, we all have these things that like when we learn like what's in us, going back to like my kids, like our kids music, right? Or was it your nephew or your brother? Your brother. Like those things that are in us, can we learn how to tap into those and then distribute those to the people around us? Like, I don't know what my dad's ultimate thing in life or what is, you know, he's, he's, he's been successful in a lot of areas of life. He's been successful in real estate and all that but I can feel the way that he just, his distribution, his distribution of love and care through his athletics and everything. It's, it's just awesome. We had a Tom McCarthy on this podcast. We were talking about him. Oh, you yeah. were? That's who I was talking you know, about earlier. Yeah. So he wrote, oh, yeah. he wrote the breakthrough code and he's, you, have you met him? No, oh. he, he lived okay. by where you guys used to live. Uh, okay. I, that's right. We were talking about where we yeah. lived and, and okay. he was yeah, asking so. if I knew. Yeah. So he said, he said, my, my life purpose is not what I do or the role I play. It's what happens in others when I do what I meant to do. And so as you were talking about that with your dad, it's like he's moving through the world with purpose. And because he's acting in that way, it's creating, it's creating change in the lives of the people that are around him. Like what's happening yeah. in others when he's performing like that is actually like changing other people, which when you're living in that way, you do feel like a deep sense of purpose, which is obviously, you know, why we're here. Yeah. And you know, as you were saying that, this was what popped up inside of me. You can't do it without all my mom. So what's, so who's my mom? She's extremely patient, extremely selfless, mm. right? Like very understanding. Um, so willing to give of her time. Like my dad wouldn't be able to do those things unless my mom also understood it and was those things for herself. And she is very caring in her own way. And so like the two of them together, I just watched them move. I mean, guys, you should hear the stories when they go to Norway or Finland on my dad's track meets and how they come back and like somehow the Uber driver is now their friend or the person at the hotel now has their contact info and they're sending them stuff or like my dad showed this guy like this, like they just move through the world connecting to people together and like always being so willing to help. And it's why they're the most amazing grandparents. I mean, shoot, the number of times that on a phone call, John, what are your kids schedules this weekend? Mom and I are going to come out. They drive out, they go to games, they take my kids places. Before I know it, they're picking up Blaze pizza and taking my kids to Menchie's for ice cream. <laughs> and then like, Hey, we're going to take the kids, you know, and then like I come back to the house from something else and they're all sitting around and my mom's like making pancakes at 10 o'clock at night while they're watching a movie, like just so willing to like, that's their love. Right. Yeah. Um, and like, I think that's why it's helped me. Like if I look at my pro career in sports, like, Yes, it was awesome to make it to the NFL. I always believed I was going to make it to the NFL. I worked my tail off to get there. And there was total challenges on the way up. Um, and I got there believing I would succeed. And even while I was in it, even after the first thing just ended up being a disaster, getting drafted by the Dolphins, worst team in football, the coaches that draft me are instantly gone. And I'm, I remember walking into the building like, I feel like I'm on another team You know, eight months after I got drafted. Like, this is wild. Well, like, what's going to happen? I remember my agent telling me, you know, they drafted another quarterback. They brought in another quarterback via a free agency, like you're dead man walking. And I remember just being like, how on earth did it flip that fast? But I still believed. I still worked hard at the next opportunity. I, I believe good things were going to happen. I tried doing everything right and it didn't work out. 
my transition into the next phase of life, I feel like because of the examples of people like my dad around me, like, like you still have all those things in you just because it didn't work out the end goal, the thing that you push so hard for, like the biggest challenge for me was feeling like you, you know, climbed all the way to the top of the mountain and right there near the peak, it didn't work out. Like that is way hard. Like it is crushing. There's so many things that you have to go through as an athlete and as a person when that happens. But all of those things that I learned on the way up that journey, all the things that make me like, like they were still there. And I've loved being able to continue with those things in that next phase. Like I help quarterbacks now every single day. Did I know that was going to happen? Not at all. I love quarterbacking. I love watching tape, breaking things down. My journey of at times success, at times failure, at times, like all of those things, I've tried to expound on those. In every experience I had, good or bad, I've tried to learn. I've tried to, to add to it. I've tried to apply it to things. And then as I've helped others through their journeys, I've learned. And that little thing where I say, my dad's always trying to learn. Like I, like when I look back at what makes me me, the things I love, I love to learn. I love to push myself. I love challenges. I love to compete. I love those things. And I love helping and teaching. So I've tried to grab those things and just be the absolute best I can every single day. And it's still met with challenges, but like similar to how my dad influences, there's something about that. Like when I get a quarterback that we talk through some things and then I get to watch him play a great game and I send that text like, hey, great job tonight. And he sends back, thanks so much. Our conversation during the week helped so much. I love it. Yeah. It means something. And like, I don't know. And even when also the next one, maybe, maybe the next week, Hey, rough one, I get it. Let's talk about what happened. And they, 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 they pour their heart out in how bad it hurt. I understand, dude. It's I get re- it. It's really cool. Um, seeing you on this side of it though, because when I met you, you were finishing your last yeah, season. The CFL. Yeah. So you were kind of trying to figure out like, what, what do I do now? Right. Because I think it was like, you were still grappling with like what had happened and maybe there's still a chance to play, but then also there kind of came this new opportunity. So I kind of saw you in that like liminal space in yeah. between the two things. Cause you, you know? moved in, like I was done with the NFL, right? I was yeah, trying to get done. back in the NFL. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So you caught it right at a time. I mean, look, I would have never been able to know I was going to end up in Canada. Like that whole journey was for one purpose. Let me apply the things I learned Cause the hard part is, is like when the NFL, you, I mean, I started games and then a year and a half later, I'm trying to get on a team, you know, yeah. and you want to be able to apply those things. You want to be able to keep playing. And, uh, I would have never known I was going to end up in Vancouver, Canada, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, then it was all to get back in the NFL. And how did that happen? Um, Canada. Yeah. So let me think it was going into year seven. I had had a workout with the new Orleans saints. Um, they put together camps where they bring like the, the guys they just drafted, but also veterans. And they, they put together a three-day camp and you can use those as like a tryout. So I go to the camp and I play well. And the last day, Sean Payton, the head coach is talking to the you know guys, Hey, we will communicate with your agents for you guys that we've signed. You're expected to be back on this date, right? Cause they just got picked up in the draft and they just got brought on as called undrafted free agents. They sign after the draft, get paid a few thousand dollars. They're on the team. Um, or they're on a tryout kind of situation. Like, yes, you signed a contract, but they can cut you. So, uh, but then they bring in guys on a tryout basis. So you sign a little like three day little tryout thing. So that's what I did. Um, 
And I was thinking, you know, okay, if I can perform well, maybe it's a chance to get invited to camp. They had previously the year before given me a contract to go to camp, but I chose the Houston Texans instead. So I thought, well, this can be a good situation. They, you know, know me. So I do the three days. And at the very end, Sean Payton is saying, hey, guys that we signed, this is when you got a return. Guys that are here on the tryout basis, we will communicate with your agents. We will let you guys know. Will John Beck come up to my office? I'm thinking, this is great. Like he's going to tell me, hey, great job. We're impressed. We're going to sign you. Brings me up to his office and says, look, uh, we didn't even know that this was going to shake down this way. Our general manager actually went and just a few days ago signed this quarterback. I have had no experience with that quarterback. He has. We're not in a situation to sign you, but you should be on a team right now. Tell me how you ended up in this camp. So I give him all the details um, and I'm not going to run through that story right now, but I give him the details of how I landed there. And he's like, look, you can't be out of football this fall. And then next off season, if you do not get picked up on a team via injury, somebody's, you know, starter backup goes down. If you do not get picked up, you have to find a way to play football next year. Otherwise, if you get out again, that's too long out. So I go through that entire fall. Oh, so sorry. He tells me, have you ever thought of Canada? I'm like, I know I haven't. And he's like, well, I went and played in Canada. A lot of guys have gone up to Canada. I know it's probably not the first thing you want to go do, but I'm just telling you, you need to take every avenue possible. There's not, uh, like the two years before there was a spring league called like the USFL or I can't remember what it was called, UFL, that that disbanded, was no longer there. He's like, so that's your opportunity. So I let my agent know, hey, Sean Payton says we maybe need to look into CFL. I'm waiting, watching games during the fall. Nobody's getting injured. I do a workout for the Buffalo Bills because Kevin Cobb gets injured, but they sign a guy and they like, hey, we'll keep you on the list. They bring somebody else via trade. That was it. So then the next spring, I find out that I think it was the Saskatchewan Rough Riders had my rights. So I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm going to have to do this. Well, the Saskatchewan Rough Riders wanted me to go to a certain camp, but I didn't want to go then because I still potentially could have maybe had an NFL team. So I decline. They drop my rights. The BC Lions in Vancouver, Canada pick them up. And I'm like, I think this is going to have to happen. So I email Vancouver. I know you guys have my rights. I do want to play. I don't want football to be over. Um, so I actually travel up and meet the coaches. I meet the facility of the BC Lions. The BC Lions, not the Rough Riders. No, that's a, the that's Rough a, Riders is the only team I know. This is I did Rough Riders. Where's you? Did you at least get some team gear? <laughs> I saw. Like, yeah, I didn't know anything, guys. Like nothing. The only thing I knew was the Montreal Alouettes because a guy that I used to train with played for them, and I played a game against the Buffalo Bills in the. I can't remember what it's called, like the Toronto Center or the something center, whatever their stadium was called. And on the outside, it had Montreal Alouette posters. What is an Alouette? I think it's like a pilot. A pilot? I, th- I think so. Like an airplane flyer? I think so. Uh, and what's a Rough Rider? Well, a, a Rough, rough Rider could be a lot of things. I think, yeah. <laughs> you know how they do it in Saskatchewan. <laughs> <laughs> so like, anyway, I, I remember I called my wife from the parking lot of the facility because here I've been accustomed to, you know, NFL facilities. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't know if I can do this. I don't like, you know, look, you have to swallow your pride when you've been up in the NFL for six years and then your way back in potentially is the CFL. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's different. Yeah. And, uh, but I loved ball. I felt like I still had a lot of ball in me and I didn't want the lessons I've learned to go unused for myself. I wanted to be able to apply them. Mm. And I felt also like I had landed in some really interesting situations in the NFL. And I felt like if I can just, keep fighting, keep believing. I had watched a few of my friends get be out of ball, get back in the NFL and tag on more years. 
and have success. Josh McCown, who I played with at the, at the Miami Dolphins, he and I would have conversations on the phone. He's like, look, John, I was out of football. I was playing in the UFL. I was coaching high school football, unsure if any football was left. And I tagged on this many more years. I signed, you know, to more teams. I had more starts the back half. And I'm like, I'm going to believe I'm always going to believe in myself. You know, like I believed in those situations earlier. Had it been a little bit different, had we not battled so many injuries or tough stuff? Like I do think some things could have been different and I hadn't done everything. I'm trying to make this the right way. Had I known what I knew then I would have handled a few things different with the knowledge I had in the moment. I was trying to do everything right. But then you learn and you say, I wish I could have applied what I know now to that situation. It could have helped. And I don't know if that would have meant we would have won games, but I think I could have performed better for sure. You have a, um, a mentality that I think is, you know, I've heard you speak now a couple of times and something that I've noticed in you is you, you say opportunity a lot. Like I'll bet you there's a lot of people that would have been in your situation that would have been entitled, right? Like, disappointed, maybe blamed somebody else. And I know that like to get to that point, obviously you got to kind of weed that stuff out or you generally don't get that far, but it, there, there seems to be like an eagerness to like, okay, it didn't work out, but I've got to get back in. Was it tempting to just hit the brakes and be like, freaking screw it. Like I've worked my whole life for this. I got a bad break when I got, when I got hired to these other teams, things didn't work out. You know what I mean? Like it almost seems like I mean, the word is entitlement, right? Like it's, it almost seems like a lot of people in that situation would have been like, come on, you have to see that this didn't work out for me and I'm capable of play at this level. But I don't, I don't ever hear that in your story. I always hear, all right, maybe I'll link this together. Maybe I'll get it back. Yeah. I mean, look, it hurt bad. Um, I, I never was going to doubt myself and believe I couldn't like, I always believed I could, um, Were there times that there was frustration because I could see what the situation was and you feel this feeling of like, holy, like, yes, I wish the situations could have been different. The thing that back then, and it was a little bit of a flaw on my part, was I always put everything on myself. I believe that was a big motivating thing for me from young ages going up. The thing that I wasn't great at was just being able to say, Hey, not a great situation. I'm going to do what I can do. And just whatever happens, happens. That's the thing that I wish I could have done. The thing that I only knew how to do was work harder. Give it everything you got. The thing that that does is that places a lot on your shoulders, which then you feel like you're carrying everything. So then you're playing in a much higher stressful environment than it needs to be. It's already a stressful environment. There's already tons of pressure. You have to find ways to not heap more on yourself. I use this phrase now when I help quarterbacks, I ask them, okay, looking at the situation, what can you do to depressurize the situation for yourself? Oh, I like that. I didn't know that back then. I knew what can I do to prepare myself? What can I do to work hard? How invested can I be? Yes, you're trying to handle the pressure by doing things that you knew then, right? Like my me back then was, I got to make sure I step away for for a little bit. I got to make sure I spend some time you know, just kind of calmly handling things. But what I didn't know was there are methods and theories and things you can use and to apply to depressurize situations. How can I reinterpret what a coach is telling me in a way that now the way that I'm understanding it and receiving it, it depressurizes it. Coaches aren't great in the way that they communicate with athletes about depressurizing things. Usually coaches amp up the stress and anxiety without themselves knowing it because they feel the stress and anxiety. Mm -hmm. So, you know, like the thing that I've always tried to do, I'm always going to believe in myself. Um, 
And I mean, look, even to this day, like I, I, I still believe like, had I been able to do some things different? That's what I always put first and foremost, me. What could I have done differently? Now, once I do those things, would it have helped to have some other pieces line up a little bit better? Yeah. And the football people that I was around, the coaches that I was around, they know it too. We've had those conversations since those days. I bump into my general manager at a golf event. We have that conversation. Yeah, it would have been nice, nice to have a few things be a little bit different. Would have been good to have some things line up to help you. We had some things that lined up to hurt you. But at the end of the day, when I try to look at myself, what could I have done differently? I want to take full ownership of those things because at the end of the day, that's what I have to learn from the things that I can control, the things that I have ownership over. And the other thing I don't want to do is I don't want to be that guy that spends the rest of his life, you know, saying, well, if this was different, that was different. I would have been here like that doesn't do crap. You know, like what can I learn? What can I do? How can I apply it going forward? And I try to use that when I help these other quarterbacks. And, you know, like going back to that situation, the reason I went to Canada was to do that. Can why did I go through this mess? It had to be for something. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no way that I would land in these situations, you know, with the ability, with the work ethic, with like, it wasn't about like not able to handle what was happening or having the smarts for it. I've been able to, you know, like I, I knew I had those things. Okay. What can I do to move forward? I went to Canada. I had a good experience there that actually helped wean myself off of my own football career. Um, it ended with an injury. Um, I tore my pec in a game And, you know, it's not easy when you're playing ball and you're away from your family. I wasn't like a young married guy with like a, you know, I mean, I had had three kids and my wife was pregnant with number four. And every single day that I sat on that football field, I wondered, am I in the place I'm supposed to be Mm. for my family? You know, I knew I loved ball, but life wasn't as much about ball as it used to be. Um, I still believed in myself. I still wanted to play. But every day I sat on that field I was like, is this where I'm supposed to be for my wife, for Ty, for Preston, for Grady, and for my next son? And uh, those things started to impact me differently. Um, and that whole thing that you hear, family is first, family's most important. I thought of that every single day because I was thinking about, are the decisions that I'm making aligning with that belief? Because I know that's in my heart. That is where my heart is at. And there's a scripture in Matthew, where for where your heart is, there, or for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And uh, it's been my favorite scripture my whole life Um, because it hit me when I was actually in ninth grade. And I remember for whatever reason, my heart felt tagged to that scripture, knowing throughout my life, that scripture was going to mean something to me. It was like this weird feeling like Mm. this scripture will mean something to you your whole life. Hold on to it. And uh, because of those things, I remember my decisions like, and I remember being on the phone with my wife in the locker room knowing I was injured, knowing football was probably going to be done in tears and just saying to her, it's done. Like my football days are done. And it was hard because I knew I still had football in me. I knew I could still throw the ball. I knew I still loved the game, but my days of playing it were done. The, uh, wow. That's really impactful. It's, it's, uh, it's kind of life though. Like you could, you still had the game, you still had the ability but is it what you should be doing? Right. Like that's, yeah. that's one of those things. I, before we come off the pros, you said something when you were speaking to our leadership development group that I remembered as I was prepping for this, uh, you were just talked about the speed of the pros, like the difference between like just the levels, right. And especially between like college and the pros. Um, and you spoke for a second about hesitation and like how that's so different at the pro level. So if you could speak to that, but while you were talking, I was sitting next to my friend Grant and Grant grew up racing motorcycles. And I had just listened to a Travis Pastrana podcast. 
And he had said in passing, he said, hesitation makes your worst nightmares come true. And I like wrote it down because think about it, like all of that, but in a physical setting. And so I just listened to that on the way to hear you speak. And then when you were talking about the speed of the pros, I literally flipped my phone to Grant. It said, Travis Pastrana, hesitation makes your worst nightmares come true, your worst dreams come true or whatever he said. Yeah. I mean, maybe share that. How, how, what was that like? What was, what did you notice when you got to that level? Well, I'll tell you this quarterbacks, when you enter the NFL as high draft picks, you have a lot of confidence. Most, most of the time you're coming off a really, really good collegiate career, especially your last season. You're confident. You know that not everybody succeeds in the NFL. Um, you know, the statistics you've watched it your whole life growing up. You followed the draft. You've seen the so-called bus. It didn't work out. And you believe I am going to be the guys that it works out. I'm going to work hard. I'm going to do all these things. I have this. I know me. I'm going to do this. I'm going to, pro- I know it's going to be bumpy. I'm not I, like, I know I'm going to push through the hard times, right? You like, like you believe all those things. And then sometimes guys get thrown out early. Maybe, maybe when they're not totally ready to be an NFL starting quarterback, maybe when they haven't really acclimated to what the NFL is, or they haven't learned how to win in the NFL. And sometimes you get scarred. Chad Pennington, a quarterback, the quarterback for the Jets for a long time, the Dolphins. I love Chad. He had so much wisdom, so many things he learned. And one of the things that he would say is, look, I know some quarterbacks jump into this league and they have success right away. True success of an NFL quarterback is after you've received the scars NFL quarterbacks get. Let me see a guy go play after the scars, through the scars. And you know, that whole thing of sometimes hesitation can make your worst fears come true. When you've played in games and things haven't gone great, you are well aware of what can go wrong. Yeah. And when you are aware of what can go wrong, you're no longer naive to things, right? You're no longer Mm -hmm. just writing that like Mm -hmm. collegiate young man confidence, right? Mm -hmm. You're aware. And so sometimes in that awareness, you can play in a little bit of an avoidance state. Okay. And I, I'll speak because this is experience that I've, I've felt. There were games that I played that I knew our team was not as talented or experienced as the other team because we were relying on more younger players. Because of injury, you were playing with rookie and first year players. You're bringing up practice squad players to then become you know, starters. Um, that's tough. It's tough to win in the NFL with your dudes, with your main starters. When you start having to have more than just a couple backups play, it can be difficult. When you are a quarterback that you understand, hey, I got five starts in this league. I'm not somebody with 50 starts, right? I am trying to play with limited experience as well. Mm. You are aware that certain mistakes can be costly. Turnovers, sacks, you're playing against a really good defense with talented players and you're watching Pro Bowl type players make plays, jump routes, do things. You have to be aware of that because it can be costly. So at times you can slip into this avoidance state where you are aware of potential risks. You avoid them in those moments is when I see quarterbacks hesitating. And when they hesitate, it's because of indecisiveness. Now it's because they're either not seeing something clearly or they're seeing it, but they're worried about a potential bad outcome. Young players that have not acclimated or they haven't seen enough looks, sometimes the picture is murky. Sometimes I'm not seeing everything that maybe I need to. I haven't picked up all the information or they're trying to pick up too much information. They're trying to see too much and process too much. One of the coolest things is when you start to understand some of the best players aren't trying to process everything. They only recognize the information that is the most important to that play is what they're processing through and the other stuff they're letting just sift to the side. But when that, that blurry vision or like muddy look or seeing ghosts, seeing what might not be really happening, but you, 
you're playing a step ahead. You're trying to anticipate. You've seen a look on tape. You're anticipating you're getting that look that could potentially be harmful, could potentially lead to a bad outcome. And you play the play based off of you think that happening. And then you get to the sideline and you realize that's not what's happening. Why did I anticipate that happening? It's because you had this thing in your head that you're potentially fearing. That's when that hesitation can happen. And I like what you said, your worst nightmares can come true. No quarterback wants to go out and throw a couple of interceptions and get sacked six or seven times. Like, and you don't prepare for that, right? Like you're preparing to have success, but you have to be aware of that certain decisions can lead to those things. And you have to make decisions as a quarterback in a fraction of a second with people, big, physical, strong people moving at high speeds <laughs> and dudes that can absolutely rip your head off. Right. And there is no worse feeling than like throwing a, an interception that the other team just takes back for a touchdown or throwing a bad interception that you yourself know that was stupid. Like, how did I not see that guy? Or taking a bad sack where in the moment that you are being taken to the ground and I've had this happen, you are going, what in the world did I just do? But here you are giving your time, your effort, your energy, your practice. Quarterbacks by nature, the majority of them are wired in a way that they are going to go the extra mile. They are going to focus on the, the like the little details. They're just wired that way. They're highly competitive, right? Um, when they make mistakes, they know it. And it sucks. And when you got to jog off the field and like, you know, I mean, especially depending on the crowd, yeah, like they may be booing. Right. And that, and, and that may be your fan base and, and the, ca the cameras on you yeah, and you I know mean, everyone's just, watching and it's and especially the, like a primetime game. Yeah. And as you walk over the sideline, your offensive coordinator pulls his headset down <laughs> and just puts his hands out to the side. Like, what are you doing? Like, <laughs> It sucks. You well, know, and then, the, you, know, the and then you know drop. the coverage too. Like yeah. the coverage you're going to get for the next week is like, I saw something last night after um, the 49ers game that said it compared Brock McCurdy to Lynn Sand, like Jeremy Lynn and Lynn Sanity, you know, because oh. he's had this like crazy stretch that no one expected. And now they're, they're kind of saying, just like Jeremy Lynn, it's going to be over. Yeah. I actually wondered like if you were to talk to Brock right now, what would be your advice? Cause that, especially the last interception was a, was a pretty bad it. one. Like yeah, he I threw it, it right to the safety. Like what was, what, what advice would you give him today? Okay. So I use this example when I talk to quarterbacks and I use the game of baseball. Okay. I love how you can take baseball and apply it to quarterbacking because in baseball, you have to be able to handle so much failure. Now it's different percentages, right? Quarterbacks nowadays, you're going to be expected to complete somewhere in the low to mid 60%. Um, completion percentage. Um, baseball players, you know, if you're batting in the 300s, you're amazing. Yeah. Um, but the thing that I like is hitters. Sometimes hitters have great nights. Sometimes hitters have bad nights. But those great hitters, they don't change how they feel about themselves as a hitter, right? The same way that they feel about themselves after three for four, they got to stand up there on the night that they go one for four. They got to be able to walk into the ballpark the next day, believing they are the same hitter. At any moment, when given a pitch that they feel good about and they can hit, they can hit that thing and they can take it out of the yard. Quarterbacking, man, sometimes like the day after Joe Burrow, the week that Joe Burrow signed the largest contract in NFL history, he had a rough game. Sometimes the NFL defenses can just humble a quarterback. Like nobody should take anything away from what Brock Purdy has done. Yes, the Niners are a really good football team, arguably the most talented football team or offense. And was that helping Brock Purdy be successful? Absolutely. But you have to have that to be a successful quarterback. You cannot just get rolled out there with the keys to a beat up 
Volkswagen bug and expect to drive around like you're driving a Ferrari. You just can't. Like if you want to win and be successful in the NFL as a quarterback, if you want to perform well, you have to have dudes around you. When you do not have dudes around you and the expectation is to pull a rabbit out of a hat, it is so tough, so tough on quarterbacks. So nobody should take anything away from Brock's performances just because the last couple have not gone like what people are accustomed to. A baseball hitter, Mike Trout, do you think after a couple games of one for four, oh for three, like he's, he's like, maybe I forgot how to hit. <laughs> maybe I'm not Mike Trout anymore. <laughs> right. You know, no, like it can't be that. Like hitters have to believe. There's a cool story that is told by my mentor, Tom House, um, of a player for the Texans. Um, and I can't remember if it was Rafael Palmero. I think it was, but Rafael Palmero, um, had a bad April. So he was a really good player for the Texas Rangers. Great hitter. I think he was playing first base for him. He had a really, really rough April, like was just struggling. You know, hitters go through slumps, bad slumps. But every time he would come into the dugout after a bad at bat, he would say, they'll pay in May. They'll pay in May. They'll pay in May. They'll pay in May. That was his words to himself, believing Mm. at some time this slump is going to end. I know what type of hitter I am. It's going to come around. It's going to come around. And uh, when May came around, he went on an absolute tear. And now you, you can get into the psychology of it. Had he convinced himself? Is that what took him out of it? Like what took him out of it? Like, I just think for somebody like Brock, dude, you know, you can play like I've been impressed now. Granted, would it look the exact same if he was on a different football team? If he was on the Chicago bears or somebody else, would it look the same? Probably not. But he's making plays in the NFL at a high level, threading the needle, making good decisions. He's a good football player, getting an opportunity to perform well on a good football team. I firmly believe that is what it takes. If you want a young quarterback to succeed, they have to be in a situation that is going to help them develop. And there is something to the NFL in helping a player out by helping him in a good situation and him having success that helps in that belief. When you throw a guy out to the field, there's a statement in the football world and football coaches that they know the NFL is not great at developing quarterbacks. The NFL hurts more quarterbacks than it actually helps. Mm. Those are truths. Mm. So if you can get a guy in a good situation and that you can bring him along, yes, it's absolutely going to help that psyche that he has because he's going to have good plays. He's going to build on good days. He's going to believe good days can be there. He's going to believe that if I play my way, of course a win can happen. I've done it before. When you get quarterbacks that are playing and they're struggling to find wins and they're struggling to move the football and get touchdowns, they don't have that thing that's telling them, go play your game and you can win. What it feels like is I have to find a way to go up, to reach another level. I have to make up for the gap that currently exists on my football Mm. team. Because when I just go play right now, it's showing me we lose by 10 it's showing me we are struggling to move the football and get touchdowns. So I have to do something different to make up for that gap. And that's when you heap stress on yourself. Most of my games in the NFL, aside from a couple felt like that. What can I do to make up for this gap? I need to play. I can't play like a guy that's only started six games. I have to find a way to play like a guy that started 60 because the guy that we benched that played before me, has played in 60, 70 games, has played in playoffs, and we need to do better than that with me. So I have to do that. And, you know, um, and I have a way different thought process now. If I could go, I think at the thing they said, John, if you can go back, right, at that next event, they said, if you can go back and talk to yourself, 
I would absolutely talk to myself about that. So going back to the Brock thing, Brock, you're a good football player, bro. You know, you can make plays in this league. You know, you're on a good football team. You know, those things help you out. This, the, like these last couple games, like, just go do your thing. Like you are still that good player on a good team. That's what I would say. That's, that's yeah. deeply profound, man. Yeah, it really is. And by the way, I think I said Brock McCurdy. Did you notice that? Yeah, but I don't know the signed, difference. So. We just signed, we just <laughs> oh, signed Brock McCurdy in Texas. Texas. I did. I did hear yeah, that. Yeah, I yeah. just didn't well, want to call you, you out. Then you said Brock Purdy. And I'm like, oh, I think I said Brock McCurdy because he's a he's a guy we just signed yeah, from yeah, Arizona. So funny. Texas Shout out Brock McCurdy. Yeah, dude. Welcome to the team. Um, I think that uh, I, I never thought about that before, but I always can't help it, but draw so many correlations between what you do and what we do, right? So... 100% commission sales, high pressure situations is how people feed their families and and they're ambitious and want to move up. And a lot of like the reason that and you have a sports psychology degree as well, right? Yeah. yeah, two of them. So part of the reason that this stuff is so like, we just drink it up is because it's just so directly applicable to what we do. But I had never thought about in the way you just articulated, you know, you think you're being proactive. You think you're being productive when you say, okay, it's not working. I need to do more. Right. But it's funny because I have this thing where, you know, I've been teaching the seminary class. I've been teaching like the youth church class before like school. And one of the things that I, I talked about just like a few days ago is you got to start getting control of your mind because what your mind will do if it's unchecked is it will go to crazy places and no one's mind does this faster than a salesperson's mind. Maybe an athlete's does too, but it's, it's okay they go down that like fear train where it's like, okay, if this, if I do bad on this test, I'm going to get a bad grade and my parents are going to ground me. So I'm going to have no social life and the colleges aren't going to take me. And so what's this all for? And it's like, you start to believe these things. And what I was telling these kids is your life is a series of millions of events that show you opposite of that. Things work out. Eventually things work out. Right. So it's like, it may not be exactly the way you want it to, but your worst fear actually never happens. That actually never happens. Usually, in, in, in the 10 million different day-to-day -day situations of your life, you end up figuring it out somehow. You don't die cold and alone and broke. You, you figure it out somehow. And so our salespeople often, you know, they get a case of the yips or they have the bad, like the bad day, the bad week, the bad month, and their brains immediately go to, maybe I lost it. Maybe it doesn't work anymore. Maybe I just won't be successful. Maybe I should just get my old landscaping job back or, and it go, and you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. I actually don't need you to do more. I actually don't need you to like man up. I actually, I just need you to calm down and stay the course, yeah. right? Like just keep doing the things that you know will work. It's just a bad day. It's just a bad week. It's just a bad month. Right. But eventually you can't keep applying the right like inputs and have negative outputs happen forever. Right. Yeah. It'll happen for a season, but it won't rain every day forever. You know, and I've never thought about that before because personally, I'm the type of person that's like, all right, it's a hard time now. So I need to match it. I need to show up. And there are times for that, right? There are times where you just do have to play a man down or whatever, but you can't run that way forever. And I think that mindset of being able to say, hey, you recognize who you are, first of all, right? Get back to that and just keep doing your thing. Right. Because I think it often grinds people out to be like, I got to be more. I got to be more. I got to be more. I got to be more snap. You yeah, know what I mean? for sure. I mean, I think I told you guys when I spoke at that event, like the things I did not know how to do. I was raised to be a grinder. Um, I was a late developer, very immature, like physically. 
Um, and I knew I have to work twice as hard as everybody else. Yeah. Um, and I did not get noticed in the recruiting process. You know, I mean, I just, I looked like a kid when other people were becoming men. And so my dad also just pushed this thing. It's always going to be about outworking. And especially you're not just trying to outwork the kids that are in Mesa, Arizona. You are trying to outwork everybody because where you want to go, it's so competitive. It's the smallest percentages. So we're going to build that. And so I firmly believed in my ability to grind. I firmly believed I could have the on switch on longer. Um, I didn't need to step away like other people needed to step away. I had an ability to be locked in when maybe other people wouldn't. And I always viewed that as mental toughness. Um, my take on mental toughness is different now because of my experiences. Like I do believe mental toughness is also in the ability to pull yourself away. You have to have the mental toughness to be able to stand back and have some perspective, like losing perspective hurts so much. You have to be able to maintain that. Um, can you keep yourself in the correct frame of mind? Like I'm a big believer in creativity. Also, I'm going to kind of relate this back to the very beginning of our conversation of that things being in us. Like you can't lose that thing inside of you that allows you to think on the moment, that creative intuition of just like find a solution. Um, I've played, I played a football game that was a disaster. And in my effort to grind during the week, I, I, you know, I've learned this in psychology, like you only have limited space, limited space in memory, limited space in energy, limited space in thought, all these things. And if you burn it all up, when you need to draw from it, it can be gone. And I had never in any sport throughout my entire life ever experienced it. And then this one event um, in the pros, it happened and it was a disaster night. And uh, I remember just going like, what on earth happened? Where was me? The things that make me, me, I had grinded them almost out. And so I'm a big believer that like when people start fast forwarding and that fear jumps in and they worry about the outcomes, yeah. they don't even know it, but they've pushed that thing. That is that natural thing inside themselves. That if you just grab that person, didn't tell them and drop them into a situation and ask them, find a way to succeed in it. They would rely on those things. They would use those things to help themselves find a way. I literally, just before I walked in the door, you were in here and I said, Hey, I saw I was on the phone with an agent. Um, we were talking about when quarterback get their opportunities. Sometimes it's good for a quarterback to not know he's going to play in the game. And then all of a sudden something happens to the starter. Hey, you're in mm. because now that guy, he didn't spend the week panicking. He didn't spend the week worrying. <laughs> the old Zach Wilson when Aaron yeah. Rodgers went there. Well, look, yeah, Justin Herbert was a guy that I trained for the draft. Um, and his opportunity came when Tyrod Taylor had a, something happened to him where they punctured. Mm. I think it was like they were doing something to shoot him up and they accidentally punctured like his lung. Oh my um, gosh. He was, wow. Yeah. And so he was taking like a numbing medication. They punctured something. He was having a hard time breathing. He wasn't able to go. I think it was the first game of the year. The coach walked over and said to Justin Herbert, uh, you're our starter. Justin thought he was joking. Ha ha ha. That's funny. <laughs> no, Justin, Tyrod can't play. You're playing. That was his first start. Was there any worry during the week? Did he jump into all those doubts? Did he fast forward to the future yeah. and go into all those what ifs? No. Wow. Sometimes a backup quarterback goes in unexpectedly plays well. And then the next week when he now is the starter during the week and getting all of the reps on two on Wednesday, on Thursday, on Friday, now all of those thoughts of the what ifs, now he has to handle those. And now he's feeling the pressure that the starter feels every single week. And so sometimes that's why I say like 
Mental toughness is also in the ability to be able to make sure you're stepping back and not let that fast forward racing of the future and the what ifs hit you. It's the mental toughness to be able to step back, maintain perspective, and at times step away a little bit. And like, that's why I say, I think I said it in that event, I did not know well enough how to flip the switch to off and it's okay to step away and not be thinking about football for a period because that actually is replenishing that space that I need mentally and emotionally to just play and be free and be me. And in the moment when the defense is maybe giving you a different look or when you got to just in the moment react and let your natural abilities come out, you have to have that. And so as you're talking about salesmen, like I, in like my first thought was, where's that place that they can just feel like themselves and Mm -hmm. feel calm and let their mind think without fear and just think in an instant. You know, a lot of that's actually when they're talking to a customer. So like in door to door sales, actually what our minds are, are meaning makers and they're storytellers. So like a lot of what you've talked about today, you're very good at getting your mind to tell a good story. And I think that's such an important thing. Cause a lot of times if you're like out on a Saturday and you pull out into your hood and you park and all of a sudden you're thinking of all the people like, maybe I shouldn't park here. Maybe people don't want me to park here. I don't know. Like maybe this person is, I don't know if anyone on the streets even wants this. And you're telling yourself all these stories before you've even talked to a person. But the, the thing that makes our people good is like having a conversation and developing trust with another person. And what keeps them from doing that most of the time is actually just getting out of their car and knocking on the first door because of all the stories that their mind's telling them. Mm. But if they could just put them, like if you could just drop them into a conversation with a person, they're great at it, right? So if they could just get that initial kind of like all of the stories that they're telling themselves as they're driving to their neighborhood and all the negative things that have happened before, you know, they're projecting that onto future conversations they're gonna have when in reality, you know, like you were saying, you hesitate and then your worst fears actually happen, right? Cause you don't go, you don't have success cause you're not actually putting yourself in the place to go and have that. It makes me wonder if the guy that punctured Tyrod had that thought. He's like, <laughs> I don't want to like poke his lung. And then he's like, Oh no, my worst fear. <laughs> like who, who popped our quarterback? <laughs> so here's something that just, I, I just thought of, I, a few years ago, I just started having these thoughts as I was helping quarterbacks. And I always reflect back on my experience and the experience of the quarterbacks I help. And I was going on this thread, like it's funny, on my phone, if ever I'm driving in the car and I think of things about quarterbacking, helping quarterbacks, thought processes, psychological stuff for quarterbacks, emotional stuff, I just, I put it on my phone. Mm-hmm. And I was driving one time by this overpass. and I don't know why. I think I was either going golfing or just got done golfing, but this relationship between golf and quarterbacking. And I was having these thoughts about the last thought you think about before you hit a golf ball and how impactful that is on your golf swing. Mm. And I was trying to improve my golf swing. So it's very easy to think about these mechanical parts to the swing that I'm working on right before I want to hit it. Or if there's a hazard or a trap or something or my ball placement, even though I'm not that great at placing the ball, I'm thinking I'm trying to be right. What is the very last thought that you have go through your body before you initiate the swing process? Because that impacts, I believe, your whole body. 
right? The muscles, right? What type of thought do I have? How does that impact my muscles? Am I going to have a smooth movement? Am I going to have a herky jerky movement? Is it going to be hesitant? What's going to happen? Mm. Well, I started all of a sudden shifting it into quarterbacking because I'm like, well, that happens at quarterbacking all the time. You get the play call over the headset. You go out to the huddle, you call the play. As you walk up to the line, you're thinking about all the different things that are a part of that play. The reads, the protection, the matchups, the coverage, all these things. And then all the tape that you've studied, all the other things that are going on. You have a final thought before that ball is snapped. Mm. What type of feeling does that put through your body? Does it put through a confident feeling? Does it put through a fearful feeling? And so as you were talking about the conversations that people have, I thought about like, you know what? I speak a lot and I try to do this when I speak is I try to just give myself an outline. I don't try to think word for word ever. I just try to give an outline, general outline. And I try to apply that also when I put together my game plan for calling an offensive game. Um, I, I get to coach the high school, my kids teams, and I try to apply all the things I learned in all these different areas, right? I am not going to sit there and try to have a perfect plan for everything. I'm going to have an outline. And then I have to have a space that is going to be free flowing. And I try to do that when I meet with my quarterbacks too. I have an outline of like, here's what we talked on last week. Here's what I know some areas I want to hit on. But I have to always leave a space of just where things can flow. And then whatever thought I'm going to have, I want to make sure that the final thought is one that puts me in a good space. Because then, because then I know I'm going to be able to flow. But if my final thought, and maybe this goes back to you guys of what's the, what's the last thing you think about before you knock on that door? What space does it put your body in? Because if it puts your body in a fearful space, whatever information you're trying to grab and everything, you just put your body in that space. And right. so I do this with quarterbacks. They'll talk to me about like a certain, like I'm trying to do visualization. I'm trying to see something. Can you see enough stuff with your body in a good space? Because if not, if you're trying to visualize and you're in this fearful state and anxiety and, you know, worry, and you try to sit on a couch and think about seeing yourself performing good things or visualize your game plan or walk through your plays mentally, it ain't going to work. So we do this exercise. Tell me your favorite place on this planet where you feel comfortable. For me, it's Hawaii. I can put myself on this beach in Hawaii and I can feel the best place. Let's take ourselves there. Let's feel that space. Then let's transition to the football field or the practice field in that state of mind. And then let's see yourself executing the game plan, going through those things. I'm just a huge believer in that. What is the last thought before <laughs> you're going to go do something? And I can't tell you how many times a quarterback is like, when they retrace their steps, they're like, oh my gosh, right before I snap that ball, I saw that clip that I saw on Wednesday during tape when that corner jumped the very same route that I was going to go throw. And I went like, when I caught that ball, I was not thinking if he gives me the window, I'm driving that. I was thinking if that guy is any bit flat footed, I'm off of it. And then they see the guy being flat footed. And then when they go back and watch it on tape, they're like, he actually backed up a little bit. Yeah. But they were like, they talked themselves into seeing what they were afraid of seeing. I'm like, did you see how your final thought? Okay, let's talk about it. What words need to be in that final thought? What if you would have said, if that guy backs up at all, I am letting this rip. Do you see how confident that sounds? He is looking for an opportunity to throw that ball. Right. As opposed to looking for something to talk me out of it. And so I always try to help guys. Can you prepare yourself? And it's like a game plan. Can you prepare your final thoughts? Let's go into the game with better final thoughts before that ball is snapped. Is you it know, you that does clear the mechanism? Yeah, uh, it's Dave. From For Love of the Game? Dude, you know what this reminded me of though? Is Ted Lasso, the barbecue sauce. Yeah. Before he throws the dart. Yeah. 
If you watch Ted Lasso thinking, back. Oh yeah, love. I I mean, you I wish that, there wasn't so many f bombs. Yeah. It's heavy, but but it's very. You remember heavy, that but scene though with the dart scene? Did you just post that? I just saw it the other yeah, day. I didn't post it, but he was playing Rupert in darts, yeah. and he gets he tells that whole story about how he's been underestimated and guys like him, and then he tells the story about how he used to play darts with his dad. Oh yeah, and then he says right before he throws the last dart, he says barbecue sauce. That's and right. He throws it and and hits the bullseye. And it's, it's that exact thing. It's like he took himself back to that place of like, he felt peace, he felt comfort, he felt confidence and then through it. Yeah. There's something to that. Like I've told you guys, like the things I've learned, you know, um, there were times where like that was just the natural. Like if you, like, like if, if I go to a place of what is naturally me, like I am not a high anxiety person by nature like not at all. Life's experiences have scarred me. And then so you feel like you need to address them because you're now more aware of it. Mm. If like, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, my wife, when we first got married, she would get so frustrated with me because I'm just an everything's gonna work out guy. Like, hey, if we got off a little bit later than we thought to get to the airport, like, like we'll be good. I bet the line's probably short. And she's like, what if the line is long, right? Like, <laughs> and you're like, Shh, I'm like, don't say it. Hey, we're good. I can find a way to drive fast. Or like, there's just yeah. like, I yeah. always kind of just like, I take people that way. Um, and people that I meet, I always assume that their intentions are good. And maybe there's, that's wrong, you know, for sometimes, you know, but like she would get frustrated because she's like, you just assume, or you think that like, at the end of the day, it'll all work out or I'll find a way, you know? And I do believe that that's a strength of mine. Like, yeah, I do believe like I do naturally have a confidence in myself and where that came from and whatnot. Like, I don't know. I just have always felt that way. And so like when I would get blasted by like media or when things wouldn't go good, I wasn't dumb and I didn't realize that things just sucked. Like when I was a freshman in college, man, that was a tough situation I had to play in and we lost games and I'm out there as the starter. But I also was really good at giving myself a space of like, I've never ran this offense before. I've been on a mission the last couple of years. Like I haven't been spending years in preparation for this. I spent years sharing the gospel. Like I've never seen that look that the guy just got me on. Like I just got sacked, fumbled by the corner. I've never been corner blitzed and hitting my back on a play action pass before. So like I would be frustrated that the outcome wasn't what I wanted, but I still gave myself this space of understanding. What becomes difficult is the more you experience life, the more scars you get. I found me naturally was giving myself less of that space, expecting myself to perform at a level of a lot of experience when I actually didn't have the experience I probably needed. It's motivating because you tell yourself, I still like that confidence. I can still find a way to succeed. Like I was never going to let go of that. Um, and at times I felt like I will be the guy that maybe doesn't have the experience, but finds a way. I love that about myself, but at times that also can hurt because what, like, what did I not give myself when things didn't work out? I didn't say, well, dude, yeah, of course, like that could happen. You don't have that experience, you know? And sometimes you, it's hard to give yourself that, like that self-compassion for whatever reason, you know? And I think that in today's world, I think that there's a movement of, you know, um, males, females, you go through life. Like I, I, I tend to find that a lot of people in life are having to almost say, I have to learn how to do that better in my older age. I'm having to learn how to give myself that, um, you know, I'm connected with a lot of friends and, um, people that do different things in social media and whatnot. And so I just kind of, I sense that like, 
as expectations and pressure and all that are heaped upon so many people, the thing that they're having to learn is self-compassion, like self-understanding. Like, dude, yeah, yes, you are expected to hit numbers, but that doesn't mean you're expected to be perfect on your way to those numbers. Like give yourself a space of understanding. Quarterbacks nowadays, because they're receiving so much training at such younger ages, the training that kids get in preparation to succeed in college is 50 times better than what we were given. And they feel the expectation 50 times more. But that doesn't mean that just because the expectation and higher is you're higher prepared that you're still not a human being. Like you are still a human being that has to go through growth processes. You're still not a machine. Like you are going to make errors. Sometimes what your eyes see and what you process may not be exactly what's actually happening. And then you got to go back and learn from it. Or maybe the experience you have up to that level is only going to take you so far. And you need that learning play, that interception to teach you, to show you where you can improve. And so like, I'm really big on that. Like, look, failure is feedback. Quit beating yourself up because you failed. Failure is just showing you where you need to improve. Even as a team, like I've had experiences on teams where I say, look, at the end of the day, this is just showing us where we are really at as a team. So let's take it and now let's go forward instead of beating ourselves up, comparing ourselves to other people and feeling like, well, now we may not get to where we thought we might get to bull crap. Like go look at the number of quarterbacks that have started Super Bowls. It's not the four or five star guys. It's the three star guys that just keep grinding. It's the ones that can actually handle failure and they keep going. Sometimes the five-star guys that hit college and then they start getting hit with all this stuff in their face of failure, of disappointment, feeling like the media is all over them and they're just being, they struggle really, really bad. And sometimes it's the kid that actually had to grind through the hard failures and they've, they've been in a baseball game and went one for four. Hey, that's baseball, right? To me, like, this is gonna sound funny. I had a friend, we were playing in a softball game and it was actually here in San Clemente. And I haven't played softball in years. And I don't even remember anymore what happened in the night. I think I might've dropped, like I took my baseball mitt, this little itty bitty mitt or whatever. And I tried to reach for a a ball. And I think I might've like dropped it or didn't get the guy out. And he saw me like pissed in the dugout or something. And he's like, man, that's the game. And I remember when it hit me or when he said that, this thing went off inside of me, like grab that. Because that is wisdom for all of the people that you talk to in your Mm -hmm. life. Like that's the game. It's the game. Like interceptions, that's the game. Like you signed up for it. Sacks, you signed up for it. And I've had that conversation with quarterbacks. Let's talk about football. What did you sign up for? Did you think you were signing up for only success? Only touchdowns, only wins? No, 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 sorry. It's not how this works, buddy. Like I actually use this imagery that I love. We don't get to look at the roller coaster of quarterbacking and say, oh, there's that loop. There's that little twist. There's that thing. There's that and that. I could do that. No, no. It's this thing that actually is this big wall. You can't see what's behind it, but it says quarterback roller coaster. And you decide I'm going, I'm going on it because whatever twists and turns, it's just is going to happen. And you decided a long time ago, I am on this roller coaster. And so it's really about the guys that just say, I'm playing the game. This is the game. You know, these, these things are a part of it. And maybe in sales, that's that thing of like, you know what? I signed up for a crappy week. Like not every week is going to be a great week. Not every time am I going to hit all my numbers. Not every time am I going to be accepted at every door. Even my presentation at times, I may stumble through a presentation that I thought I knew like the back of my hand, or maybe I came up with a new little strategy or whatever that I thought was going to be great. And it ain't coming across as great, but I signed up for that. 
And like, I truly believe some of our biggest breakthroughs happen when we feel like we are going through a breakdown. Like I one time had this martial arts guy that was giving me some instruction a time that I was away from a team. I said, train me like I'm a fighter. I I don't need to learn all the moves, but I got to shake up my training routine. And one time he said something, he's like, you know, there's like an ancient, I can't remember if it was like Japanese or whatever it was, but he's like, a breakthrough can only happen after a breakdown. Mm. So sometimes we have to welcome the struggle of what feels like a breakdown because then we get creative. Then we find areas of ourself and we grow and we push and we da 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 And then all of a sudden, boom, breakthrough. Anyway, I, I just love, love that. that part about the, our human experience. Yeah, I love it. You know, how many major companies happen because some dude failed or some woman failed in something before, learned from it, took that experience, went in another direction, and then bam, major company. Well, it's often where you find your thing. We were talking about like your gift. You said, you know, you're, back at the beginning, you said your dad's, that's how he loves. That's kind of his gift. But like, think about, um, you know, starting a company, you finding quarterback coaching. That's not something you set out to do, but it's kind of your gift, right? Like a lot of us that do this, like who would have thought like street sales, like who, who would have thought, but that's your gift. Right. And I think, um, I don't know. It's weird because I also thought of that, that Kobe Bryant quote that starts where he's like, you can't possibly expect this to be easy. You know, like I think about that with anything that you're that invested in. So like professional sports, it's like, you're going to have a bad day. I look at a quarter. So 13 weeks in a quarter in a year. Right. So I look at that and say, okay, well, a lot of our guys, they're, they're, they're entrepreneurial. They're, they're, they're driving their own results. They, they have the opportunity to earn really high income, but it's crazy hard. And so if you look at a a 13 week quarter, I always say three of those weeks are going to be really hard. Like, cry hard, you know, like tear your hair out hard, like confidence shaking hard. And then three of them are going to just be kind of like numb probably where it's like, yeah, that's the game, you know, like to put your words on it. And then five or six of them are going to be pretty easy, right? Like that's, and so it's like, when you look at that, it's like, okay, if you have the opportunity to earn this well, work with these people in this type of environment, if, if I were to go into the NFL and you're like, heads up, how many games are in NFL season? 17. 17. If you're like, hey, you're going to play 17 games. Five of them are going to be very difficult. You're actually going to hate it. Five of them, it's going to be the time of your life. You're going to chase that high forever. And then some of the other ones will come out in the wash and be like, yeah, expected. That That's what I would expect. But we're so surprised when we have a hard week or a hard experience or a hard, you know what I mean? Where it's like, I love your idea of that's the game. Because yeah. if you can, and I think that's maybe your, your um, the tactic to step back, right? Because, you know, when you're talking about sometimes you need intensity, but sometimes you need a break. I think about like, well, you got golf clubs. Like sometimes you need this club, sometimes you need another, but how do you know what to use? I think the ability to step back and say, okay, what did I sign up for here? I think that might be the thing, right? So like if you're injured, well, you signed up for a game where really big people are also fast and they're also highly incentivized to stop you. (laughs) And then we look at our group where it's like, well, what did you sign up for? You signed up for no guarantees income. So days like this come with it. Like, yeah, I, I, I feel like you've articulated that incredibly well. I've had, like, I've had like two and a half breakthroughs in the last hour and 20 <laughs> he minutes. He also had so. two and a half breakdowns. So. Yeah. Well, that's, <laughs> he was looking pretty rough over there a minute ago. Well, going to quarterbacks, that's why I think veteran quarterbacks, veteran quarterbacks handle things so well because 
like you said, in that 13 weeks, this many weeks is going to be this, this many weeks is going to be this, that, that. like they understand it, right? Like how many times have we seen Aaron Rodgers say, Hey, we're not going to hit the panic button. What is tough? So here's what I'll use. Um, I use this all the time for quarterbacks as well. When I always go back to baseball, I love baseball, but when you take a guy from the minor leagues and you say, Hey, we're bringing you up to the majors and we're going to have you play tonight and you're going to get three to four at bats. That's usually what happens, right? Three, three, three to four at bats. That guy is putting so much on those three to right. four at bats. Yeah. So let's say the first at bat he gets up, grounds out. All right, that happens baseball, right? Second at bat, now he's feeling a little bit more pressure, right? Because he knows he's probably only got three left. And he's sitting on what he thinks is going to be like a two-two off-speed pitch. He gets a fastball and crap, strike three. I'm out. Okay, now I've just grounded out and struck out. I have got to make something happen in these last two at bats. Next at bat, I'm going to be aggressive. If I get first pitch fastball, I'm freaking hitting it. A little high in the zone, hits it, pops up. Now I'm feeling it. I'm 0 for 3. I got this opportunity. I need to make the most of it. I have got to get something big. I got to hit like a double. I got to... Da, da, da. They are putting enormous amounts of pressure on themselves on for one at bat. Yeah. And they are standing there and that, that one at bat feels like the weight of the world. All right? Somebody that is a starter, right? Plays a whole season, right? Those guys are getting hundreds of at-bats. When they stand up, similar scenario, they ground out at their first at-bat, it's baseball. Second at-bat, right? When they sit on that pitch and they strike out, or I, I think that's the way I put it. Mm -hmm. Okay, all right, happens. Next at-bat, hey, you know what? I'm gonna be aggressive. This guy gives me a first pitch fastball. I'm gonna try to hit out of the park. Pop out. All right, well, it's been a rough night. Let's see what I can make happen on this fourth at bat. He is not worried yeah. about there not being other at bats next game. Right. He's not worried. He's not going to put all that pressure like, well, I have got to. He's had a night like that before, right? The other thing that they do is they go, you know what? Who knows? This next at bat, I may hit a double, but I'm just going to be aggressive. I'm just going to keep it simple. I'm going to stick to me. And I'm just going to, hey, you know what? If I get a one and one fastball, I'm hitting it. See the difference yeah. in the same night, the same whatever, but the approach, right? So many times those quarterbacks feel like the guy that was brought up from the minors and he has to make it happen right then. I 100% know that feeling as a pro of feeling like have to find a way to beat the 49ers, even though the 49ers got five pro bowlers on defense and we are kind of limping into this game. I know that feeling. And because I know that feeling, I know how other quarterbacks feel at times, right? They get named the starter or they get or the other guy gets benched. You're going to be the guy or we're coming off two losses. I got to make this like there is this feeling of got to make it happen. And I'm sure in the sales world, you have guys that feel that all the time. It's the final two weeks or the final week of this quarter. Got to make it happen. The mental toughness does not lie in the ability to get up an hour earlier, to grind all day, to never turn off the mind, to just stress yourself out. That is not the mental toughness. That's that part where the mind tricks you into thinking those things are going to help when actually in performance, those things don't. Mm. The better way is how do we be mentally tough enough to handle the situation like the guy that's the starter in baseball? Can I remain calm? Can I go and stick to my fundamentals? Can I treat that at bat just like any other at bat? Because if I'm trying to perform my best, I'm thinking simple thoughts. I'm going to put my foot down. I'm going to take my hands here. I know the cues that for me, allow me to be the best hitter. It's individual. What helps me be the best salesman? 
Can I still stick to those things when I feel like I'm caught in the middle of a storm and everything on this bat at bat matters most? To me, that's what I have learned is true mental toughness. Um, and it's an area that I had to grow in because like I told you guys, I, I was raised to be a grinder. How can you sometimes take this step back, have that perspective and not lose yourself? Can you still be yourself in those critical moments? And I love that about efficiency. To me, in the most chaotic, stressful, crazy times, can you still be that? Because that's what's going to give you your chance. Too many times we as humans are trying to find the guarantee. I will do anything to guarantee that this will be the success. And then we feel the pressure because we know innately we know there is still chance. There is still an opponent. There is still maybe a no. There is still, we're not oblivious to reality but we are trying to guarantee it. And so we stress ourselves out and we put too much pressure on ourselves. The ability to say, it might not happen. I'm going to go up there. I'm going to stick to the things I've worked on. I'm going to stick to my swing. I'm going to stick to those thoughts that I know at the end of the day help me. And can I be mentally tough enough to say it might not work? You know, one of my, uh, one of my favorite uh, authors, his name is Seth Godin and tying this back to creativity. He talks about like most creative breakthroughs start with that thought. This might not work and like being willing to engage in it anyway. Right. Because, and I think what, what you're ultimately talking about is being present. Like you operate as yourself best when you're in the present, when you start to like get hung up on what happened before, when you start worrying about what's going to happen in the future, you get weird. Right. Yeah. Number one rule of sales. Don't get weird. Don't be yeah. weird. <laughs> Just don't be weird. You're doing fine. And then all of a sudden you started, you knock get the weird. door and now you've got a weird voice and uh -huh. you say <laughs> weird things like, Just don't be weird. And then usually when things get screwed up, it's TGW, dude. Things got weird. <laughs> what happened? Well, you know, TGW. Ah, got been weird. There. Yeah. yeah. But, but ultimately it's that, right? Because you have all the tools that you need. It's in you. You're, you're, you're built to navigate and function through this world. Usually when we have problems, it's when we get outside of it, right? You get yeah. too far ahead or too far. Too far ahead behind. is a huge one. Like outcome. Well, especially the, if you're a pro, like if you're a grinder, that's your thing, yeah. right? Well, like, you're, well, you're pushing for the outcome. Yeah because you want to impact the outcome. You want to control yeah. the things that you can control and impact the outcome. I mean, look, most quarterbacks, I have to have the conversation. Tell me what is it? What, like, what feelings are you fearing? Let's just talk about it. Yeah. Well, the coach, he responds this way. You haven't even done the play yet. And you're already concerned about how the coach might react if the right. play doesn't go well. Right. Yeah. Well, I really hate that feeling after a bad performance. If I know I haven't performed the way I'm capable of. Okay, it's Thursday. Your game is on Saturday. <laughs> right. You're concerning yourself with potentially on Saturday feeling that way. Can you see how you're giving energy, effort, and all of that? Like you're taking away because you're fearing how you might feel on Saturday. Right. What you need to do is you need to bring yourself back to right here and you need to just say, what can I focus on right now? Yeah. What can I do right now? Um, and that's, that's why Chuck I like, Wood. that's chop wood, carry water. That's yeah, it. It totally is. You know, I mean, look, I, I like, I'm a big believer in uh, breathing. I'm a big believer in meditation. And I don't think you have to be these crazy 45 minute to an hour. Right. Like, like I, 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 I'm a big believer in meditate for a few minutes. Can you ground yourself in the here and now? And one of the things I love most is I use this. So I'll share this. I use this, um, with my kids. Okay. So the, all the teams that I'm on, I always try to get, hey, like if, if I'm the head coach, we're doing it. If I'm the assistant coach, I say, guys, can we bring this in? And if ever I down the road, go coach um, for professionally or whatever, I want it to be a part of the thing. Um, but I say, earn it. And the team says every day, compete, every play, win today. And win stands for W-I-N, what's important 
now. Because to me, if you can understand that winning is truly not about the outcome of Saturday afternoon or Sunday or Monday night, if you can truly know that winning is what you do in the here and now, that gives you the best chance to win on Sunday, Monday, or Saturday. Agree. To me, that's winning. And so like, I just, what's important right now? Can you get yourself to that place where you can see clearly what truly matters now and is going to give you your best chance and then being okay with that. It's just a chance. Like that's the area that like so many people are so competitive and they so badly want to be able to control all of the variables and know on Sunday we will win. doesn't work like that. That's not the game. Right. The game is any given Sunday. A team that's great may lose to a team with a bad record and that team with a bad record may upset the team that was supposed to be great. That's why we love competition. That's why we love, to me, that's what we also enjoy about life. Like, I think we love the like, who knows what can happen? Who, know what, who knows what's around the corner? Who knows if greatness for ourselves, all those things, if, if it comes together. It's why our hearts break really, really bad and why it hurts so much when we give all that effort and it doesn't work out. But that's why I think at the end of the day, win. What's important right now? If you can do that, you're winning. And John Wooden says that all the time. Winning really isn't about the outcomes. Right. Winning is about what you're doing. Yeah. And uh, it's tough to be okay with that. You know, um, but it's the only way to really enjoy what you're doing. Bam. You nailed it. I was just about to say the actual enjoyment of in the moment, loving it. Cause you still got to be able to love it when you go over four as a baseball right. player, you yeah. still got to be able to find a way to love it when you lose on Sunday night, right. you still got to love it. It's still the love lights. It. It's still the smell of the grass. It's still all the things like in the present moment that are beautiful about it that you can find. Yeah. You know, there's a book, the powerful engagement. I love it. Um, and, uh, Jim Lehrer is the guy's name and he talks about these guys that have achieved so much success. And at the end of all the success, they were so caught up in the next success they were so focused on the next big deal, the next championship, the next whatever, that like they didn't actually get all of the feelings from being in the present and enjoying right. it in the moment. And that's right. why a lot of people on their deathbed, it's not about like, I wish I would have done more deals. I wish I would have made more money. I wish I bought that house on the lake in whatever. It's about like, I wish I was more present in the moments with the people that I love most doing these things that I love most. Right. And so like, I've tried to remember that, you know, like, I mean, look, guys, I have notebooks that are sitting there that are like, why do I do this? What is my, and I don't like to use the why, but I like to call it my pillars. I want to make sure I'm living my life by my pillars, my family and my children and my wife and those relationships, man, those are so important. That is a pillar. My faith, that is a pillar. Knowing I am doing something that is not about what I make, but about what I love and who it impacts. That is a pillar. And then at the end of the day, have I affected humans? people? Have I helped people that needed something from me? Have I gone out of my way to help somebody that really needed it? That wasn't, it wasn't just a focus on me and what I'm doing because I think, and this is going to go to like a nature part of self. I think by nature, something that is my challenge in life is I am very goal driven and it is very easy for me to focus on something and go all out. And I think that's a strength of mine, but at times it can be a weakness because I'll answer this completely honestly. Was I always present in every interaction with my wife over the past 20 years? No. Was I always present in every interaction with all of my children? No. I wish I was. I wish I could have been. My drive to achieve my goals that I love that I had those goals 
there are times that it took away from that. Right. Okay. So my challenge in my life, how do I, when I have this heart that pumps inside of me, that even just speaking these things right now, I remember the drive to that, that I love so much. It wakes me up. It gives me those dreams at night. Like I'm a 12 year old kid again, dreaming about stuff. I, I love that. Okay. There's nothing wrong with that. How do I then make sure though, it doesn't take away from my relationship with my wife, my kids and my faith. To me, that's why maybe that's my thing on this earth or whatever. I believe we all have challenges. We all have things that we have to learn as we go in life of like, okay, like I, I, God, I see how you wound my heart. I see how you put me together. And I see how that can be my double-edged sword that at times can get in the way of my faith. Have, have I always had the best relationship I possibly can with my, my, my father in heaven and my savior? Of course not. Because of those worldly things that I sometimes was driven after, right? Um, have I always been the best dad? Of course not. There are times that I have gotten aggressive or like yelled at my kids and then I go back into the back room and I go, why did, yeah. you, why did I just do that? Yeah. You know, and I know I'm a human and that's going to happen, but okay. So those give are yourself, my, Hey, but give yourself grace. Like you yeah, talked about. So earlier. those are my pillars. Right. That, that like that fourth pillar I talked about, am I still being that human being that recognizes that about myself? And because I'm learning that and I'm growing in my heart and my empathy, I am then distributing that to right. people that are within my circle, right. whether it's helping them, whether it's comforting them. I want to be a person that when somebody's going through hard stuff, they reach out to me. Mm. And they go, hey, I, I like you've helped me in the past. I need your help again. Because mm -hmm. if I don't feel like I'm that person in somebody's life, then I don't feel like I am being the human being I'm supposed to be on this earth. Love that. I think that just the fact that you're asking the question, right? Like in the last 20 years, have I been present? No, like most people never ask the question, right? And so I think, again, that's that stepping back, right? Like being able to do that is ultimately where you're not supposed to get it right every time. Like, if you just got it right, you just, you would never know anything, right? Like all of the life lessons that you've learned, you've learned cause you've got it wrong and then you've looked at it and then it tells you something. Yeah. That's what right? I was going to say. It's the impact that failure has on my heart. Yeah. Mm. Um, yeah. we, uh, Taylor and I are going to fail to make our flight. If we, <laughs> oh, shut up. you guys gotta go right now. I just saw the time too. I have to go down and help out with a high school walk. I could do this all day though. So dude, thank you so much. Like this is the second time you spent multiple hours sharing with our group and I'm happy I, to do it. I do know it does help people and I'm really grateful. So thanks for sharing your story. I was at BYU the same year you were coach or uh, quarterbacking. And so it's, it's been cool to like make the connection and, and to hear you speak and to hear you share. So thank you. Yeah. Thanks. You're welcome. I'm ha happy to do it. I love, uh, I, I love learning and sharing and it's cool to do with you guys. You guys have been awesome. I've known this dude Taylor for a long, long time. It's crazy how life just goes. I mean, it's crazy. I can't believe our little boys, my little boys real quick. My little boys would run down the street, grab his twin little boys and like they would have them play football together or like movie night. I'd come home sometimes and his little boys would be on our couch with a bag of popcorn <laughs> watching a movie. I mean, it felt like, yeah. and I mean, how many times I come over to your house and watch like oh, a BYU football time, game yeah. and stuff. And now they're grown men, dude. Driving cars, <laughs> taking girls out on dates I and know, stuff. It's, it's crazy. crazy. It's crazy. Awesome. Well, thank you again for joining us yeah, and excited to see where the next, the next step in your journey takes you. Thanks. Appreciate it. If you're listening to this and interested in joining our teams, DM us on Instagram at run the league. What are you waiting for? Run the league, shoot us a DM and let's get going. Hey. <laughs>